All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson, and with me today from his underground lair, apparently, is uh, my good friend, Marty Frederick. Marty, what's going on, man? Not much. I am in my underground lair. It is tough to find a place to podcast from where you can have some semblance of silence when you've got everybody home doing a COVID quarantine, even though we're at the very end of it. Like it's almost impossible to find a place where like you can escape for an hour and no one's going to come there. <laughs> it's, just, it's almost impossible. So, yeah, well, I'm, so I guess I'm a little bit more lucky, dude. My, both of my housemates, they are out at work today. Uh, my wife is home, um, but she's just, you know, working in the kitchen and the dogs just literally sit in front of the fire and do nothing. So it's pretty, pretty easy except for, for that one time, except for that one time. I remember you probably remember this too. Like it was in the yesterday when one of your dogs decided to get into the recycling bin and like, just like <laughs> tore everything yes. out all over the kitchen when you yeah. were in here podcasting. I was, and I literally, I watched it happen through the French doors that are in front of me and I couldn't do anything about it because <laughs> I didn't want to like, be like, Hey, sorry, Jonathan. Uh, excuse me while I go discipline this dog for being a you know crazy person. But, <laughs> and, and you know, it's crazy. Like if I did the same thing, but with my kids, the result would likely be the exa- exact same. <laughs> like if I was like the, my wife wasn't here or she was doing something else. I was like, okay, I'm going to go podcast for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. You guys just need to not destroy anything. Don't make any snacks. Just do school. Just stick with school. I would come upstairs. There'd be cupcakes started. There'd be crafts with glitter and glitter would be everywhere. The garbage would probably be knocked over. Uh, (laughs) There'd be all sorts of extra things added. So I feel your pain. I totally feel your pain. Yeah. (laughs) Right on. Well, dude, we do, uh, we do have a, a third person with us here this morning. So perhaps it'd be a good idea to introduce them. What do you think? I think so. All right, cool. Well, I'll, I'll go for it then. With us uh, this morning, we have Christiana Peterson. How are you doing this morning, Christiana? I'm great. How are you? Good. Just hanging out. Yeah. Hanging out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. 
See, trying to keep all your little creatures from destroying things. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, between, between Josh and I, there are there are seven creatures between the, the two of us. Um, creatures mm-hmm. is the word to use because they're not the same species, but that's okay. Um, yeah. Christiana, so <laughs> we, have, we have a question that we ask every person that comes on the podcast. Um, that is, who is your favorite ice hockey team? Oh, no. Um, I have never watched ice hockey. Actually, that's not true. I, uh, the Washington Cardinals, the, the Washington Capitals, the Washington Capitals. That's my favorite. <laughs> All right. Do you have All any right. other signs to hold up for me? <laughs> <laughs> if, if I had a Chicago Blackhawks sign, I'd hold that up, but that, that that's okay. That's it's my second last favorite. week. We, yeah, last week we recorded and someone uh, said the Chicago Blackhawks, so I felt good about that. Um, oh, I'm well, sorry. I disappointed I, you. No, it's you're you're great. You're great. And sometimes we have people that just refuse to give an answer. So you gave an answer and that's better than than nothing. <laughs> well, um, I pleased who, one so, of you, so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so could you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Oh, that's a hard question. Um so I am a human person. No, I, m- most of my uh, work in the last month or the last year that is probably similar to what most of us has, have been doing is just surviving. Um, I am a mother of four so that I know you have four children as well. So that's been challenging and um, extra, you know, there's special gifts about being around your children all the time but also challenges. Um, but I'm also a writer. I, that's my training. I'm a writer by training and, um, I've written two books. And so most of my time is either writing or watching my kids. Nice. Nice. Sounds kind of like me, except you, if you replace writing with music or, you know, something like that, because that's pretty much my (laughs) kind of where I fall. Um, well, and then one other bio question that we like to ask Christiana is, um, what is, um, what is the most recent or most important element of your faith that you have ever had to rethink? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it's uh, some of what I talk a little, a uh, little bit about in this book that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, I think the most profound thing for me is growing up in a faith tradition that was very intellectualized and not, um, really strong into the Holy Spirit and discovering the mystics and um, sort of being changed by their approach to God and, and the way they seek God in this deeper way that's, that is with the head and, you know, the intellect, but is about so much more. And that sort of opened up my faith for me, um, just seeking God with my whole self. I think that's probably one of the most important uh, changes in my faith. Um, that happened in some ways in a moment, but I think it was really happening my whole life. Yeah, that's awesome. I can relate uh, to that as well. I started seeing a spiritual director. um, Geez, I guess it's been for about a year now. Mm. Yeah, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, And through getting hooked up with the spiritual director is when I started to get introduced um, more uh, to some of the mystics and to, you know, contemplative practice, 
um, mm-hmm. and things like that. And uh, I had already interacted with some people like Richard Rohr, um, but after starting Spiritual Direction, um, I started, you know, going more into people like, you know, St. John of the Cross and mm-hmm. Teresa of uh, Avila and, and all these yeah. different awesome people, Thomas Merton and, and Wendell Berry, all these fun things. So I can relate. Yeah. And it's, it's been a game changer for me, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps if I can even be as bold to say it in, in a way, I think it, it, I don't like this language, but saved my faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, just, I totally relate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, yeah. And uh, today, uh, like you mentioned, we wanted to talk about your latest book, which is called Awakened by Death, Life-Giving mm-hmm. Lessons from the Mystics. And so light. <laughs> yeah. Super light conversation, guys. We're gonna have a lot of fun. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the, the question that probably is, uh, would be on most people's minds right off the bat is like, uh, what led you to decide to write an entire book about death? <laughs> What's the draw yeah. there? Yeah, it is a strange topic, isn't it? Um, to spend a lot of time on. Well, I think I've had a lifelong fixation on death. Um, a lot of, I had a lot of fears as a child and, and, one of those major fears was dying. So it's something that's been in my subconscious for my whole life, most of my whole life. Um, But I started the seeds of this book after reading Richard Beck's The Slavery of Death. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. And just, and and I'd had um, some uh, severe anxiety and depression. And I think for the first time, some of that kind of probably what you we talk about a little bit with the mystics, some of that was stripped away. Some of my uh, preconceived notions about my faith were sort of stripped away and you kind of get to the heart of uh, darkness <laughs> and um, finding death there and being interested in exploring that after feeling sort of in the depths. Um, and then just seeing that fear of death that I had sort of experienced throughout my whole life uh, as um, infiltrating a, a lot of my life and seeing it culturally and how that inf- infiltrates our life culturally, you know, the ways the fear of death shows up in our lives. So I started writing that just in its beginning form about five or six years ago. And then after I wrote my first book, um, I had an editor reach out and ask what ideas I had. And that book had been percolating for, for many years. And I thought that's, that's what I'm ready to write. Um, and this was before pandemic COVID stuff. So it just kind of came at a really interesting time. Yeah. Sounds like it did. And, and I like when people follow what they're feeling <laughs> and yeah. because when you write, when you, when you write what you, what you're feeling, it's uh, I feel like it comes out a hundred times better than yeah. if you're writing to write or you're just writing for, you know, some sort of analytical thing. I feel like writing what you're feeling is so much so much better and so much clearer. Um, yeah. With, writing is hard enough it. anyway. You know, yeah. you might as well yeah. write about something that you're passionate about because it's going to be yeah. hard no matter what I think. Right. 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 Um, well, and within the book, you talk about death as the great leveler. Uh, can you share with mm-hmm. us how that has been understood and experienced throughout history? Well, I think that's particularly from the medieval times. Um when they had 
the Black Death, uh, which was interesting to to read about and be writing about as COVID was coming. Uh, but it was, you know, the Black Death particularly uh, leveled everyone. I mean, the rich, the poor, whether you're a servant or a king, you are not immune uh, from death and particularly a gruesome death that was the Black Death. I, you know, I think it's a little different now. I've, um, I've kind of thought how that compares to our us culturally in the pandemic in that, you know, we're, the Black Death obviously was a little bit more contagious and gruesome than COVID. Um, and the death rate was a lot higher. But certainly we've seen in our culture that the people who are dying more are the more vulnerable. So um, it's not quite the great leveler in the same sense as it, that it was during the Black Death, but it, in the, uh, you know, in the same sense we all die. So we, no one can escape the great death, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Death uh, touches everybody. Um, yeah, and I, I thought that was so interesting when you talked about, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, but the dance, uh, how the do you say it? Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been so interesting to see. Um, mm. And I think so powerful too, because uh, you know, you talked about how they would have uh, the kings and the princes and the the paupers and the maids, everybody, clergy, everybody <laughs> would just be dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's just it's we can get a, a taste of it now um, with how we are in our culture and with COVID, but I, I think it's also it was so much to a higher degree that everyone everyone was gone. Um, you know, your art, which, which is where the Renaissance came out of all of that, because it's just, everything is raised to the ground. You don't have priests to do death rituals, your death rites at the end of, you know, at the end of your life, you don't have architects though. There were buildings in the middle of construction and architects died. So all of these half, you know, half finished things. And yet people still, um, manage to, to find meaning, uh, at the end of it. And, and this great art renaissance came up after that, which is pretty amazing. I think out of yeah. the ashes. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like a Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you had mentioned this, but in, uh, that you have a chapter in your book called the great leveler. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, a sentence that, that you wrote that I specifically wanted to ask you about just and you, you kind of do this in like the, at the very end of your book, and you've mentioned it a little bit here, but I want to read you the sentence if that's okay. And just sure. ask you a question then. Yeah. So you said, uh, how would we respond if our cities were permanently altered? If our architecture and schools and churches no longer looked the same, what would these disruptions do to our thoughts about death? And you wrote that referencing uh, the black death. And you wrote that pre-COVID. And so I just wanted to see what, now that those things have happened, our schools have been altered. Our our churches don't look the same. Uh, Do you Mm -hmm. think we're learning anything through COVID? (sighs) You know, I I think some people are. I I think when things, uh, I don't know if we can say they're ever going to be normalized again, but when things open up, I mean, I guess I have hope that, um, the deep loneliness and isolation we've 
been feeling and we've been in now that that will lead us to reach out to each other afterwards and seek community, you know, run toward community. I have, I have hope in that. I have hope that all of these things that have been highlighted, racial injustice and power struggles, that those will lead us to rethink all of those things and, and seek change. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to tell what's going to happen. I, I hope that will happen. And I think there will be some pockets that that will happen in. Um, you know, then there's the fear that some people just will sort of retreat inward even more. But yeah, it's, I mean, the beautiful thing I think is to see how creative people have been able to be, to be in the midst of all of this. I mean, this whole thing that we're doing right now, um, obviously this was certainly here before, before COVID, but the ways that we have found to, to reconnect, um, it might not be as good as the real thing, but, but we found creative ways to do this, even in the midst of, um, you know, fear and death and grief and loss. So I hope so. I hope that there's going to be, you know, a renaissance of some sort that will come from this. Yeah. Well, and then I feel like, so as we're talking about the great leveler, I mean, we're all going to experience death someday, even though I may not ever, I'm probably going to live forever. Um, (laughs) Just you, (laughs) um, only you. Yeah, just me, and which will really be awful, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. And I, I feel like, as I'm joking about here, I feel like everybody in society, is particularly Western society, we kind of seek to avoid talking about or acknowledging death or even thinking mm-hmm. about death. And I, a part of me wonders why that's why. If, if, if when a family member does die, even going to a funeral, um, going to a mm-hmm. wake, going to a service. Um, and then talking about that person after again mm-hmm. um, just becomes so difficult for us. Um, yeah. Can you? Why is this, and what does this look like for us? Um, it's just a culture. Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons why that's true, but I uh, I think one of the reasons is our um, how disjointed we are culturally. Um, we are not really a communally oriented culture anymore. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, we don't live, I mean, I live in Ohio. I grew up in Texas, so I'm not with my family of origin. Um, We're far away. But all of these uh, rituals that have been built upon communities for generations sort of, you know, maybe they're carried to other communities, but they're not um, you're not sort of swimming in those communal rituals. And, and so, um, and also I think there's mistrust in the institutions that, that we used to go to, to help us with death, like the church. I think there's a lot of, um, in a lot of under, you know, a lot of understandable ways, there's some mistrust of the church. Um, but that is where uh, the locus of our communal death rituals used to be. So now we are sort of left, I think, flailing because we don't have those things that have anchored us. Um, You know, we don't have, you know, I talk about in in the book that the house that I'm living in now, um, we've only been here for a couple of years, but it was built in 1850. And I just imagine, you know, the birth, 
the births that probably happened in this house and the, uh, you know, marriage ceremonies or, or feasts or whatever. And then the death that probably happened in this house and how those things used to happen in the same place, you know, whether that's our churches or our homes or our communities. And now they're happening and we don't have those things um, to lock onto. Yeah. It seems like we, push those things away completely right like we when um family members get older uh you know we push them away or or we send them to a special Mm -hmm. kind of uh home whereas you know perhaps it used to be that uh they would still live with you and and be taken care of that way or like you know we're constantly seeing uh you know like get this product and it'll make you look younger or right this workout routine will add, you know, all this time to your life or something like that. So Mm -hmm. it's like this constantly, this constant, like repression of the idea of death, like completely trying to ignore it. And almost to the point where it's like a taboo thing, like, yes, out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't, we have trouble even saying the word death. I think, you know, when someone, death is announced it's usually that person passed away it's it's you know there's an attempt to try to soften those the, even the words that we use about death it's it's hard it feels harsh for us to say my mother died you know we want to say my mother passed away and i mean there there can be good reasons to do that in some situations but i think it's just a um uh a sign of that deeper discomfort with what we consider to be the harshness of death and death is harsh. I mean, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's horrible. It's tragic, but we can't avoid that reality by cushioning ourselves with, you know, the, the beauty products or uh, the euphemisms or just ignoring it. Um, and I think it's interesting that I was reading this book once uh, written by, it was a children's book, but it was written by um, a Native American man who had, um, it was a fictionalized account of him growing up on a reservation and then going to school outside the reservation in a predominantly white school. And he was just talking about the, uh, the shock when some of his white classmates um, would hear him going back to a funeral on the reservation. And he was saying how often he was a part of a funeral. And I think a lot of um, our Euro Western culture doesn't, we don't go to that many funerals anymore. Um, I mean, if you're a part of a church maybe, or a, a smaller community, maybe you're involved in more funerals, but even just going to funerals is, is not as much a part of our culture. So we're just so, separated from that if we if we don't have different generations that we're involved with in our communities if we just have our peers or you know the younger generations then we're not um, seeing the progression of age and seeing death Mm. you know just last uh, beginning of june my my grandpa died and uh, um it was Mm. it was one of those things where that i'm 36 years old and Mm. that was the first family member that had died I mean, yeah. there had been others, but they were people that were um, much, much, much older uh, mm-hmm. people who I didn't really spend a lot of time with, except for on holidays or that kind of thing, because they either lived for far away or something like that. And I remember as a 30, 
well, at the time, 35 year old man feeling like I wanted to experience every of that. And mm. I didn't want to set those things aside and not experience right. it. I, I, I got, and, and it's because and almost in a weird way, it's like I felt not like I'd been cheated that that opportunity mm-hmm. to feel those feelings. Um, but I've, I've always believed strongly that a lot of people, particularly within the church, we, we want to focus on positivity and happiness, but we never want to focus on lament. Yeah. And we never want to talk about those things um, because they're hard to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not discrediting what people's feelings on that. Um, but I feel like it's important for us to feel those things deeply because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the reason why I think talk like saying my grandpa died is harder mm-hmm. than saying my grandpa he passed away or he's gone or um mm-hmm. yeah he he lost his battle with age or like you come up with yeah. some <laughs> phrase to say that um i think the reason we do that is because we insulate ourselves from those feelings and emotions everywhere else in our life to when right. this comes up it's so mm-hmm. difficult to even consider because it's actually real like it's not the tv show we're watching where we can get up and go to bed and that's it this Mm -hmm. is real life where like my grandpa on earth i will never see him again right Um, and that's hard and so um but can you besides the things i mean maybe it is the things i said but um can you talk a little bit briefly just about what some of those negative uh trying to think of the word that the like just the negative aspects of that when we avoid of talking avoiding about or death. feeling, yeah, can you yeah. just like the, the the overarching elements there? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think one of the things that we when we suppress feelings, the negative quote unquote negative feelings uh, associated with death, then you know that we're suppressing all of our feelings. <laughs> so when you suppress. Um, grief and loss, you also end up suppressing joy. So I think those, those things are so connected that we're, we're not able to fully feel all of the emotions and uh, of the human experience. When you think that you can reject one of them, or you, you uh, ignore one of them, then there's, uh, Howard Thurman says, there's uh, lots of forms of inner chaos. When we and don't allow our griefs to be assuaged. So we, when we don't lean into grief, then there's inner tor- turmoil um, that's caused because it's 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 not the way we were supposed to uh, experience life. It's all part of the human experience. And then there's uh, the dangers to other people when we ignore our suffering um, or we try to cushion ourselves from the reality of death. Then we end up hurting other people as well, um, whether it's because we are so individualistic and we want to keep our our comforts or our way of life. And that because those things cushion us from the reality of death, then we end up um, ignoring other people's hurts and suffering. So I think it's incredibly damaging. Um, you know, I think even, I hate to get political, but I think what we've seen in the past week of the storming of the Capitol, you know, we have a, uh, a president who probably grew up in a culture that didn't allow for weakness and loss and acknowledgement of loss. So when you have that pit inside of you, 
that you're not allowed to be weak. You're not allowed to lose. Um, then you end up, this is the extreme, but you end up hurting yeah. um, lots and lots of people because you can't accept yeah. loss. Yeah. Well, and I think too, just the idea where we live in a place where evil and good exist together and they're the opposites of each other, but they both exist and darkness and light both exist. They're the opposites of each other, but they both exist. So to say we will only experience happiness and joy and fun and uh, laughter without mm -hmm. ever experiencing sadness and lament and anger and frustration. Um, I, I feel like we have to, we have to be willing to notice that those are going to be real things. Um, I, I mean, as a parent, I'm sure you, you know, I mean, you see your kids and one day they will they will experience the full gamut of human emotion. <laughs> yeah. Each in one, one hour. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Particularly, I have one of my children, he goes to occupational therapy. He tends to have, um, he tends to be the kind of person that experiences those emotions to an extreme. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he, his name is Killian and he'll, um, he'll be happy and you'll, you'll know he's happy. He's, he's jumping around, he's laughing and then the next moment he's in anger, throwing something across the room or slamming his iPad down on his table because he just doesn't want to do something. Yeah. Um, and he goes through those, those emotions somehow out of nowhere. And I think yeah. the tendency as a parent is to say, dig into the good, good emotions, but mm -hmm. suppress away those bad ones. Yeah. And occupational therapy has been actually teaching him, no, no. Don't suppress those bad emotions away, oh. experience them and mm -hmm. live into them. And instead of trying to push them out in a way that damages other people, learn how to mm -hmm. push those out and capitalize on that energy because it's the same oh, energy. That's neat. Um, and I feel like there's a parallel there to yeah. being able to experience the sadness and the pangs of death, but then also the joy of life. So yeah. in your house. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a parent, I have been guilty of, of trying to focus on because it's, it's hard when you, especially when you have four kids and their behavior affects the other children and it affects you and you're tired. And so you're, you're just like, let's just focus on, you know, instead of walking them through um, what, where is this emotion coming from and how can we, um, as you said, channel it into goodness or into uh, uh, constructive um, working through whatever that is. And yeah, I think, I, I think that the kids that have those big emotions tend to be the most sensitive children. And as they get older, if we nurture them um, and, uh, help them channel that uh, sensitivity, they can become great artists and, uh, you know, just open to the painful and the good and the joyful in life. And, and that's, you know, I think that's what a lot of great artists do is they are sensitive to the world or, and, you know, there's lots of different ways that can be channeled, but um, it's hard. It's hard to be a parent of a really sensitive child and it's hard to be a sensitive person, you know, because you're open to all of those, your nerves are a little bit more open to the, uh, all of those human experiences, those emotions. Josh and I are both very sensitive people. We're very, <laughs> we're, 
it's funny. I'm 10 years older than Josh, but we're almost identical individuals. <laughs> we're the same really? people emotionally <laughs> and, uh, and, and not physically. I have a beard. He doesn't have a beard, um, but that's well, about it. Well, that helps. You can relate. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. My actually my um, so I'm currently a, a high school and young adult pastor. And okay. uh, my yeah, my students make fun of me for crying because I do it all the time. <laughs> well, good for you. They need yeah. to see they need to see that. It's, yeah, it's really important for them to see. Yeah, I that think grown men cry. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's something to like, trying to acknowledge uh, the emotions that you are feeling. And then a phrase that I've picked up recently um, is like, and then bowing to those emotions um, mm. in, in the, the sense of like um, when you, you physically bow to something uh, in like Asian culture, you're that there's like a respect and like, mm. and almost like, what can I learn from this? Like, yeah. like there's an acknowledgement. And so, uh, you know, facing certain emotions um, or even specifically, you know, talk about bowing to death. What is, you know, what, what is the, the thing that death is inviting me to learn? Um, mm. What is the experience it's inviting me uh, into having? And yeah. I think, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Um, but something that I wanted to ask you specifically uh, falls in regards to one of my favorite, uh, actually my all-time favorite uh, saint and mystic, which is St. Francis. Mm. Um, and so I think, especially within Western Christianity, um, we have this tendency to uh, shift our Christian beliefs about afterlife into something that is very Platonic, uh, shaped by shaped by Plato rather than you know Scripture or something like that. And so what that does is basically says your body is this terrible, evil, awful thing. Thank God we don't have to live in it forever. We have this other right. part of us that will go away. That's the thing that actually matters. Um, right. And then it gives us this negative view of our body, which is not helpful. Mm -hmm. And uh, to my surprise, it seems like St. Francis had an aversion uh, to his physical body for a good bit of his life as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But as the story goes, something happened to him on his deathbed that I think mm -hmm. there's so much insight and wisdom in. Can you share that story with us? Yeah, I mean, I think he, I think he probably was in a culture that was, uh, had some platonic, uh, views of death and particularly the body, the badness of the body. Um, but yeah, I think on his deathbed, he sort of made peace. He, he had called his body his whole life uh, or in his, his older years, brother ass, <laughs> because he had this battle with his body. And I think he just, he had this sense as he was dying that he needed to repent of uh, seeing his body that way, that his body was, uh, something, a, a gift that it could do all of these things, all of these things that he'd been able to do with his body. Um, and so he repented of that uh, on his deathbed. Though I think that's a really beautiful to see the mystics as not these perfect um, saints that we are to emulate, but to see them as learning as fellow pilgrims on a journey of faith, that they're also learning um, and that maybe they had to learn these lessons in a, <laughs> a little harder, more difficult way than we did. So, yeah, I think I think a lot of uh, Catholic medieval mystics had sort of an aversion to the body. There was a lot of flagellating and. <laughs> 
Yeah, what what was that practice called? I had not heard it before until you wrote about it, where um, some of the saints would actually get the piercings um, on their hands and their feet. Well, that actually wasn't a practice. It was yeah. What was uh, that supposed? The stigmata. Yeah, stigmata, the stigmata. is um, is sort of a mystical wound that okay. they believed God gave them um, okay. that they so wanted to. Um, be at one with Jesus and his suffering that they actually, that those wounds actually came to their body, um, that the wounds of Christ came onto their body. So, you know, the science of course looks back at that and says, well, maybe did this really happen or whatever, but it's a mystical sort of uh, experience that some of these mystics had, these saints had with God. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I completely misunderstood that then. I thought that they were intentionally... No, 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 that's, no. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, no, <laughs> Josh, that's fine. There's a really poor movie from the '90s called Stigmata. It's like a horror. <laughs> is it a horror movie? movie? <laughs> yeah, it is, and uh, it's 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 awful. So you should watch it and laugh at it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, Stigmata is kind of controversial, probably. I mean, do you, you know? Are these wounds? Are they really wounds? Some some of them claim to have wounds, but nobody ever saw them. Um, there are some scholars that actually wonder if uh, St. Francis's wounds were actually leprosy because he lived among the lepers, that he actually had the wounds, but they're leprous. But we don't know. We'll just say they're a mystical. <laughs> and then uh, there, there's a phrase, uh, Christiana, called memento mori. Um, mm-hmm. What does this phrase mean and how have you personally found it to be helpful? Memento- and have you? I mean, yeah, yeah. Memento mori is a Latin phrase that means like, remember your death or to remember your death. Um, And, you know, there's lots of, I think it's become more popular lately. Um, And I think there's legends that monks would say it to each other when they were, there's no proof of that, but uh, there's also uh, stories of like Roman generals uh, way back when, when they would come in from battle that their lesser, um, military folks would say that to them they'd come in they they would have won this grand battle and someone would say memento mori like remember your death so it was it was sort of an act of humbling um yeah you've won this great battle but you're still gonna die so i think um i i've kind of gotten really into memento mori uh art because i think it's really interesting both culturally and as a way for us to sort of um, be reminded uh, every day, several times a day. Oh yes, oh yes, I'm going to die. Um, and I think this whole book for me was a memento mori, just leaning into it for a year, leaning into death, and seeing uh, where it took me. So yeah, it's been very important to my writing and important to um, the art that I have around my home. I have a skull right here. <laughs> And I actually have several pictures up here that are memento mori's. Yeah, I think have have you ever seen the movie Coco? Yes, I love that a movie. Sweet movie, yes. yeah. But that I think so. That like in my understanding, then that so listeners, if you haven't seen that, like, do you live under a rock? Go watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, it's so great. But You'll it's be about, weeping at the end. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And the music is so catchy. It's it's a great movie. Uh, but it's about uh, the day of the dead 
which is a, mm-hmm. a practice in uh, Latin American countries, which specifically is a memento mori, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the whole, yeah, the, the whole purpose yeah. of that. Yeah, I mean, culturally, you know, I'm not a Day of the Dead scholar, but uh, the little reading that I did about it, I think, I think lots of traditional cultures have, particularly around Halloween or All Saints or All Souls Day, have these rituals that they do to as a as a entire culture to remind them that they will die and in the day of the dead there's there's those beautiful i think they're called calavera skulls that you see throughout coco um and they have all these practices uh where they bring i think they bring food to the dead and it's it's really interesting you know we have that in the in the church there's all saints and all souls day where we we pray for people who have passed, uh, who have died. I just say past, I just said past, uh, people who have died. And, um, you know, I think culturally Halloween has its roots are in that, uh, same tradition of remembering it's sort of become a, uh, kind of a child's holiday now, but yeah, I think, I, I think it's interesting to look at those traditionally traditional cultural practices that we've sort of lost as a culture, um, which is just another symptom of our, um, our avoidance of death that we have sort of lost uh, the ways that functioned in our culture because we have, you know, we're a melting pot. We've come from different cultures. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think, and it's also interesting with day of the dead that uh, over the years, a lot of the rulers, uh, a lot of the people in authority and power tried to tamp down some of those practices um, because they saw it as maybe a threat. Uh, you know, if you're in power, you don't want to remember that you're going to die. So sort of tamping down some of those memento mori practices because they didn't necessarily want to remember they, that they would die, you know? Yeah. And um, man, it's so crazy to me that like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words because the, like reading your book was like an experience for me, I guess is the best way to put mm. it. Uh, like I experienced your book more than I read it. If, if mm. that language makes sense. And so just yeah. the, the thinking about uh, death and embracing it has, um, has been really uh, interesting, enlightening, mm. Uh, mm. mystical to say the least. Um, yeah. So sorry, I keep getting uh, hung up in my words. Cause I just, it keeps, oh. you know, bringing things about. Um, but well, it's one- hard to talk about it. Oh, it's sure. Hard to talk about. I mean, it's, and I, and I think that's, I really appreciate that, that you experienced the book because I think, you know, I didn't want the book to just be an academic research book. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be a way that all of us sort of take a walk in the cemetery together and, yeah have that experience of, you know, lots of people will, di- will get different things from reading the book, but I think my main hope was that it would help you think more deeply and mm-hmm. feel uh, more deeply your, yeah, your own death and the, uh, the ways that we have avoided death in our own lives and our family structures and our culture and, you know, how we can try to do better. So that's the greatest compliment that you could give for, to me for this sure. book is that you experienced it because it is hard. It's hard to talk about. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to, 
you know, you know, when I'm answering questions, it's yeah, I experienced writing the book. So sometimes <laughs> it is hard to, to, and we're, and we're living in, and especially mm-hmm. like with COVID coronavirus, we're still in the midst of all this. So we don't always know where is this going to go mm-hmm. until, you know, a long time. What are we going to learn from this? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it, death is one of those things too, that like, whenever I think about it, it like trips me out. Like yeah. thinking about like, oh, one day going to be dead. It's just like, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, <it is laughs> <know>? weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when, I think what's interesting though, and, and you, you talk about this in your book and I thought it was huge and super important is that um, not only will we all experience like big D death, but right. we experience uh, lesser deaths mm-hmm. as we, we go throughout life. And if we have eyes to see these lesser deaths, um, they might just have something to teach us. Do you have any yeah. any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think in my own life, I mean, I've, uh, I sort of see myself as recovering from this, that, uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we were talking about earlier, ways that we sort of cushion ourselves or try to avoid the seemingly negative emotions um, or dark emotions, that, that these really difficult things that happen in our life, whether it's, um, you know, the death or a breakup, the death of a, of a relationship or the loss of a job, like they are training us for the way we, the way we lean into them are, is training us for the big death, uh, whether it's that we've lost a a parent or God forbid, lost a child, you know, those things train us um, to be able to, not tighten up and avoid um, all that comes with it, that, that we, if we can pass through these things and experience them and learn from them, then it's training us to be able to experience or maybe bring other people through all of those uh, suffering or death or loss. That loss is, especially for Americans, um, you know, privileged Americans, that we don't experience as much loss as our ancestors did. And so seeing this as training ground for us to lean into loss and grief, um, I think is really important as we move toward big death. And I think it also, the vulnerability that comes with um, seeing yourself as finite, the humility that comes with that is actually how we, are compassionate with other people. And I think we can love other people better when we are more humble and vulnerable and recognizing our own um, finiteness. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, something that at least I've kind of experienced um, and continue to experience, and it's actually kind of how I would talk about where I currently am in my faith journey, spiritual life, whatever language you're used to it. I think we like we we face these lesser deaths within our our faith as well, like mm-hmm. within, um, yeah. or maybe a, a better way to say it is within the systems of belief uh, mm-hmm. that we have been handed uh, mm-hmm. as we grow and mature and, and all these kind of things. Ex- you know, have life experiences. Um, our faith shifts drastically. I mean, the the I grew up in like a, a Southern Baptist church in the middle of freaking nowhere and (laughs) the faith that i had then looks vastly different like they call me a heretic and stuff now because like it looks so different right and so there's like these little 
lesser deaths that happen within, I think, our, our spiritual journey as well. And um, where I'm at currently, there's like the way I've, I've, I've talked about it with Marty before and with some other people is there's like a like an aspect of me that I feel is is dying right. um, a part of my identity, a part of uh, how I have shaped and formed and lived my life thus far. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's like this spiritual death that is happening or, or a spiritual shedding of, of something. Um, yeah. People often talk about this as like the dark night of the soul mm-hmm. um, or, you know, St. Ignatius talks about consolation and desolation. Um, although that tends to be more like just how life flows. Dark night of the souls is a bit mm-hmm. deeper. Um, and I think I've, I thought I was in some kind of, just desolation bit, but I think I'm actually entering deeply into um, a period of just like the dark night of the soul of, mm. of dryness, of, of, of darkness, of like a loss shedding. Um, yeah. And what's interesting about that though, is that like you've talked about, I mean, the, throughout your book, the whole time is like this embrace of death is so important, but the mm-hmm. embrace of this darkness within the spiritual life and, and journey is mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You have to embrace yeah. the darkness. You can't run from it. Mm-hmm. Um, the deeper you go into the darkness, uh, something actually happens. And then uh, on the other side, there's resurrection. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll stop because that was a lot, but <laughs> now, <laughs> no, now you know beautiful. a lot about me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think that's, I mean, that's so hard to pass through that, but I think you're in such good company with the mystics. You know, I think that's, I think that's why a lot of people, there's sort of been a um, resurgence of interest in the mystics because they give us language for something that feels so intimate and personal and hard. So, you know, and I think a lot of people are experiencing what you're experiencing. You know, I think Richard Rohr's uh, words about, you know, deconstruction are so helpful to people because so many people right now um, are, are, are working through that. So I think it's, it's beautiful to find the mystics uh, and find language for that, for what you're experiencing. And I think you're right. It is, it is one of those um, it, it feels like death. It really does feel like death. It, it, it's a huge thing to have to, it, it's, a, it's so hugely important to grieve, to grieve that and to acknowledge that loss. Um, but that, that, that there is something uh, beyond that uh, when you go through it, not to circumnavigate it or to ignore it, that it has to be uh, traversed. I mean, that's what in the Christian story, we have life, death, and resurrection. And those things are so intertwined. There is not, there are some, there's some denominations that like to focus on one or the other, but it's all in there. You know, it's all the, those, those experiences that, that Christ went through are so helpful for us and giving us language for death and rebirth and loss. Well, and it sounds cliche to say, but it's almost like the death we experience if you live in an area of the country where this happens or the area of the world where this happens, um, where we experience death and fall and then mm-hmm. winter comes and yeah. we, we experience death, but it's not, it's not true death to the extent where um, it will never resurge again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think Honestly. personally watching Josh and I mean myself as well, but just talking about my friend, mm-hmm. um, 
your the 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 lesser deaths that Josh is referring to seems a lot more to me like that yeah. um, than than the loss of something completely. Um, right. And so and, and I feel like that's I feel like that's the way life should be. I, I don't I don't think that um, I don't think it's natural um, for us to experience a lot of le- I'm, I'm being careful with my words because I because I'm wondering if what I'm saying is a, that I actually believe. I guess I'm more wondering out loud. I, I don't know that um, experiencing lesser deaths that are gone forever, that are mm. complete in total, is as natural of an experience as the lesser death that then turns into something else. Because even if we lose a relationship, mm-hmm. we, we lose death in a relationship in some way, relationship will regrow or rebirth will be reborn in somebody else. Um, And not just in, not just in intimate relationships, of course, friendships. Like if you lose one friendship uh, and that friendship is totally ruined and gone and Mm -hmm. has died, there will be naturally a rebirth of relationship someplace else. And that may be in something totally, it might be with faith. It might be there. There's so many different ways that that could happen. So, I guess total death that never re- reborns or re- mm-hmm. rebirths um, mm-hmm. <laughs> seems to be something that is less natural to me. But again, I'm, I, as, I, as I'm speaking those words, I'm realizing there's probably somebody out there listening with pushback and, and I appreciate that too. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's all, there's so many vast different experience, vastly different experiences yeah. that we have. And, and I certainly, <clears throat> You know, I, I can't relate to what it would be like to have the trauma of losing a child. Like that just yeah. seems like a whole level that I, I don't know what that's like. Uh, but yeah, but I think you're right that these relationships, these loss of relationships, like, you know, you learn something, hopefully you learn something about yourself too. And how, you know, what, what part you, uh, you know, what, your way of being in the world, how that affected how the relationship went or how the relationship died or whatever. Um, so that in new relationships, you can, can grow and be, be uh, transformed in that. So I think, yeah, I think I, I like the word dormancy instead of, I mean, I do like the word death, but I think in, in what you're talking about, it seems like a dormancy that, um, that that's what our seasonally we're doing. Um, and that may be partly what we're doing in these, that Josh in these seasons of faith that, you know, it's being stripped away and, you know, pruned. And uh, even when you burn down a prairie in order for it to come up again, you know, that, that from that uh, stripping and burning, that, that, uh, that something new and better and more healthy will be grow will, will grow. Because I think, I think a healthy faith isn't one that stays the same. I mean, a healthy spiritual life, you can't stay the same your whole life. The people that I know who are the most wise in their faith, often they're, they're very faithful people, but often they're like, I just don't know. You know, they get to toward the end of their life and they're, they say, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I put my hope in these things and this is the way I've lived. And this, these are the truths that I know, but a lot of it, I don't know, you know? So 
being able to say that as you grow, as you get older, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I'm 43, but I still, you know, the, the older I get, the less I know. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's a really good place to be. It doesn't mean that there's no truth or that there's no, uh, nothing that we can hold on to, or there's no stability, but that there is humility in saying, I can't know it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think that's a true sign of wisdom. You know, wisdom is is when you get to a point when you realize uh, that you know enough to know that you don't know much. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and there's, yeah, there's wisdom in that. Or, uh, you know, the, wor- the word wisdom is just is just what comes to mind. And you had mentioned Richard Rohr and uh, he talks about the wisdom pattern, order, mm-hmm. disorder, reorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you know, then applies that to all these different um, faith backgrounds and stuff. And I mean, like we've mentioned for Christians, it's life, death, resurrection. Right. Order, disorder, right. reorder. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, that uh, cycle, that wisdom pattern happens constantly throughout right. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's happening in our bodies, you know, physically we're, we're all constant. Our cells are constantly dying off to make new cells. And if they don't die off, if they keep replicating, well, that's cancer and that mm-hmm. will, you know, that can kill us. So there's all of these and the, uh, you know, negative theology, kind of what you just said, that we know enough to know that we don't know. That's actually the negative theology, the via negativa, which is a lot of St. John of the Cross, mm-hmm. which is, I can't speak of God, except by speaking of what God is not, you know. So even speaking of God, I think mm-hmm. you have to have both of those ways of speaking of God, the positive and the negative, that mm-hmm. there's just so much paradox and complexity in who God is and the spiritual life and in death and in life, death, resurrection. It's just, yeah, death is the most mysterious and complex of our human experiences because none of us have done it and then come back except for Jesus. So (laughs) I guess Lazarus maybe, but uh, you know, (laughs) right. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. And um, one thing too, again, just since you mentioned Roar, uh, he said, there's something that I've read him, I've read him saying that doesn't make sense. There's something that he has written and I've read it a couple times (laughs) in various places. Um, But he basically says that the the fear of God and the fear of death are one in the same thing. Hmm. Um, And that when we embrace one, we can embrace the other. Um, Hmm. And that was like super powerful to me. And I had like, so I have um, like anxiety and depression and I remember one night I was having a really bad like anxiety attack and um, it was super embarrassing. Cause I was like with my friends, like we were camping and it was like, so, it was, you know, uh, whatever. But I remember laying in my tent in my sleeping bag, like freaking out. Cause I thought I was yeah. going to die. Cause you know, yeah. anxiety attacks suck. It feels like death. Yeah. Right. Awful. Yeah. And that like that, I recall that to memory, the fear of the fear of God and the fear of death are one in the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how to use normal words to explain what happened, but I had, I guess what you would call some kind of mystical experience oh, where yeah. there was an embrace that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And once that embrace happened, then like this became true for me, uh, mm-hmm. but in a way that was more true than just, hey, here's this ideological claim. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that. Um, it became true in your body. 
Yeah. Became yeah, true. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I embraced that. And there, there was like an instant peace, like, like nothing I've ever mm-hmm. experienced. Like, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, every time I like have spoken about the mystics, somebody comes up to me and says, I had a mystical experience. So I think you're not alone in having some, having a mystical experience. I mean, I think, and a lot of people say, don't, this is weird. I don't tell people this, but I had a mystical experience. I'm like, of course, of course you did. Like the Christian faith is a mystical faith right? It's, it's, that's what our goal, all of our goal should be to have a mystical faith, to have a mystical uh, relationship with God, because if we don't, then it's just, it, it, we're cutting ourselves, you know, we're, we're cut off from giving us, giving all of us, giving our whole selves to God. It's just in our mind or just in our emotions. It, It should be a whole, you know, a, a, a longing to be wholly, un, wholly unified with God. Um, but I think, you know, I, I haven't, maybe I read that a while ago with Roar, but I didn't remember that the fear of God is like the fear of death. I mean, I'm, I guess my first uh, thought would be, I don't know exactly what he means by that, but that, you know, for us, God and death are both so big and mysterious um, that we can't really wrap our minds around it. But maybe once you become at peace uh, with death, then you also become at peace, come, come to peace with God. But I don't, I don't, yeah, I'd have to think about that for a while. It's a really interesting phrase. Yeah. And so this is weird as, as we're sitting here, um, I'm just thinking, I, I remembered. So and these are dots that I'm literally connecting right now. So uh, bear with me, but um, I've had two near death experiences in my life. Uh, when I was wow. first born, I was born with a, a rare, uh, bone disease called osteomyelitis. Oh, uh, and wow. the, yeah, the right side of my body was actually paralyzed, which is weird. Cause I'm right-handed and like, oh. yeah, everything works fine. Um, oh. <laughs> but like, so that was weird. I was like in, you know, pediatric ICU for the, you know, majority of the first year of my life, all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, when I was nine years old on Christmas, um, my esophagus collapsed completely. Oh my had, goodness. Yeah. I had flu strep pneumonia and croup all at once. Oh. Uh, and so, yeah. And I was, then I was in like a, a medically induced, induced coma for like two weeks from that. Um, and so like, I was just thinking about that because those were two early on like traumatic childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with like neuroscience and psychology, we know that how much those kind of things shape you as an adult. And I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there's some kind of connection between why, like I experienced your book the way that I did um, Mm -hmm. the, you know, quote mystical experience from the tent. uh, Mm -hmm. Just like why, I mean, I, like part of um, my own like spiritual journey and, and understanding is that I'm, I'm good at telling other people that God loves them. Uh, but I'm not good at accepting that for myself. And yeah. I want, I wonder if all of the, of these things are not just somehow interrelated and connected. Uh, oh, they must be. So yeah, I'm just, I'm connecting dots in real time. So I, that's just oh, kind of throwing it out there, but yeah, oh, <laughs> I think wow, there's something, of course. something special. Yeah, I mean, of course, those uh, those early experiences are so formative to us. I mean, who knows? Like, 
as you get older, you know, that, that those things will come keep continue to come up. Um, I think as you get, you know, I, I don't know if you've read Ronald Rollheiser at all, but he has a whole book or he has a, a series of books on um, the spiritual journey at different ages. And uh, one of the things I found really interesting was that he talks about how in our thirties and maybe even into our forties, things emerge uh, that maybe our youthful energy, um, we don't have the youthful energy we once did, that we could sort of just barrel through them. Uh, but things start to emerge that that we don't have the energy to repress anymore. So I wonder those if those things are beginning for you to sort of emerge a little bit, um, those early formative experiences. I think we're so disconnected from our bodies and uh, that we often are not able to connect those, those two things, you know, we've come, become so separated from our bodies that I think as we get older, we can no longer, <laughs> you know, uh, force the separation, if that makes any sense. So yeah, that would be really interesting. I'm glad you're making those connections in real time. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, I didn't know, I didn't know that happened. Th those things happened to you. I've known you for a long time. I didn't know any of that happened to you when you were younger. Mm. Oh, really? I never shared that with you? Yeah. No. I, yeah. So, I, have to, I mean, yeah. I have to I, I'm not there. sure there were, I'm not sure there were situations in our relationship where that would have been like, oh, hey. And also. <laughs> hey, guess what? This one time I almost died. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, when you, when you get together yeah. and talk to people about death, as a focus, I mean, I, this happened to me when I was hanging out, or I was hanging out with another couple and my husband and my husband, I've been married for 13 years and we had a focused conversation about death and I learned things about him that I didn't know. So it's yeah. just, you know, this, this leaning into death as a focus is really, it brings up stuff for us that, you know, maybe we'd forgotten or we don't know about each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Christiana, I think we just have like one or two more questions for you because I think we want to be uh, faithful to your time and not take your entire day. Because, I mean, <laughs> truth be told, Josh and I could record an episode of a podcast, you know, <laughs> if over the course of like seven hours and people would be like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. one more <laughs> Yeah, my children um, might I mean, start revolting soon. So <laughs> yeah, yeah my, mine would too. Um, well, I guess the, the question that we want to, the at least this, this question, um, it's a little bit different. Um, it's, it's less about your book and I think just more a personal type thing or in general, just thoughts about death. Um, so I have, you know, we all have somebody in our life who, um, you know, all of a sudden has said, Hey, you know, I, I have to leave work. My, my mom just died or uh, mm -hmm. my, my little brother just died or um, just, we have friends who have, have lost people and, and it's happened. Right. And, it never happens or it rarely happens uh, where we're like aware that it's going to happen. You know, it's, 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 mm -hmm. you know, even when we know someone is close um, it never feels like we're ready for that to happen. It, you know, yeah. it, um, even people that say, you know, I think we were all ready for that to happen. I still think we aren't, you know, and yeah. um, someone's in the hospital for years suffering with something. We're still never ready. Yeah. Um, how would you, and this is a, I guess, a multifaceted question. Um, 
on one hand, if you're that person and you're and you have like your loved one or your friend uh, has just died, um, mm. what would you counsel them to do in that moment? Um, and then in the moments after. Um, but then mm. I think the, the piece that I think many of us experience more often than that is our friend has just had a loved one or a friend die and mm. they're deeply troubled by that. How would you counsel us to be there for those? Because you never know what to say. I mean, it, it, yeah. I'm sorry for your loss seems so just like insensitive it, yeah. to me. Like it's just in, you know, saying we're praying for you and your family. Uh, we're there for you. Um, I mean, all those things seem better, but they don't seem better at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, there's been so many times where I, I have I have a lady in my church who recently lost her son, and um, I wanted I, I I felt like I wanted to do more than just say so sorry for your loss. Right? How can I pray for you? What can I do? Like I, I felt like I wanted to say the right thing or do the right thing. Right. And so, how would you counsel people in the midst of death, um, whether it be a friend or themselves? Hmm. Well. <sighs> You know, I, I think the easier question, it's not easy because I'm not a counselor, but the, the second question, um, I guess, is it, what I would say is presence, P-E-R-S-E-N-C-E, <laughs> not a present, but your presence with them um, or, or um, inviting them to allow your presence because some people don't want others near them. I think it's always better to reach out than not. Um, Cause I know, and you know, if you, if you have an experience like that and um, even if you don't want someone there up close to you at the moment, you are always appreciate, you always appreciate that they uh, um, offered themselves to be present to you. Um, I don't think there's anything that you can say that's the perfect thing. And I think probably uh, besides the few, I'm so sorry. Um, sometimes it's better not to say anything, <laughs> you know, if you're present with them or I think anything that, that shows them that they're not alone uh, is, is good. Um, I know, I know I've heard people say, like, don't ask me what I can, or, you know, you, you, you tend to say, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And I've heard people say, if I'm in grief, I, I can't come up with, that's even harder for me to come up with something for you to do. Bring them a meal, you know, offer your presence. Um, if you know them well enough, sit with them, uh, offer to watch their kids. Just, I think just helping them know that they're not alone is the most important and that you care because I think sometimes you can remember, Oh, that person never said anything to me when I was, and that, that hurts. Or why didn't that person even offer, even if I didn't want them there the whole time, why didn't they offer? So that would be, I think what I would recommend. Um, Don't go on long uh, theological (laughs) rants about where they are or, yeah. You know, they're well, in, a, remember, in a happier place or whatever. That's not yeah. helpful. Yeah. My, uh, my father-in-law died six or seven years ago coming up here in February. And um, I remember at, at his services, um, so many people said to my wife, 
well, he's in a better place now. Um, or, or things, things along those lines, or somebody mm-hmm. actually said he's in a better place now. Well, maybe, I don't know. Oh. Um, and, and the hard, the hard thing about that is that, um, from your standard evangelical thought process, my father-in-law was not a, a Christ follower. He was not mm-hmm. a believer. Um, so my wife was already navigating through the pain of that feeling of just, right. you know, when I die, based on what I believe, I will be in heaven, and will my fa- will my dad be there? Now I don't even know. Um, <sighs> and about six years later, her mother. My, my, my mother-in-law um, mm-hmm. became a Christ follower. And I think um, she got to a point where she started to navigate through that same thing. My mm-hmm. husband may not be there. And that's like, that was like revisiting the pain. Yeah. But I remember with my uh, father-in-law dying, I thought to myself, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just, I'm just going to be there and I'm just going to be super strong and I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to show emotion i'm not going to do anything because my wife needs someone to be strong Mm. and uh, years later my wife told me it seemed like you didn't care that he died and so what i thought i was doing to help right and by the way i never asked i never communicated i just made the decision so i would get in my car and drive to work and ball the whole way there because i had to let those emotions out but i but i wasn't doing that with her and so she Mm -hmm. felt alone and isolated and so there's just i I feel like it's such a hard thing to navigate um Mm -hmm. and i think what you're saying just being there um i I never thought about that if there's anything i can do question not being helpful (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean i think i think I feel like, you know, when you're in a, a close relationship with someone who has lost somebody with your, like with your wife, there are certainly mm-hmm. more, you know, there, you're going to be, you're going to have a different role than if it's someone yeah. at church or someone, yeah. you know, your neighbor or whatever, you're going to have a different role. So I think you were, you were grieving too, it sounds like. So yeah. part of that mm-hmm. is that you show her that you're also, you've also lost, you know, you're also grieving. And that's so important. You know, if somebody, uh, you know, I lost my father a few years ago and if somebody had come up to me at the wedding or not the wedding, the funeral. And um, well, I think, I think it's true that when you have a funeral, you're also navigating other people's emotions. Um, you know, some the way somebody saw my father and the way they're grieving. Now, if somebody had come up to me and wanted to weep in my arms, that would not have been helpful. It's helpful yeah. to hear that people missed your your loved one and because you want that, right? But your emotion should not uh, supersede the, the, mm-hmm. the person who's lost. Now, you were mm-hmm. grieving in that situation. So it sounds like you needed to grieve as well. And she needed to know that yeah. you were also grieving. But it's, you know, the, in these situations, we we often will do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. So I think, I think, learn. I think one good thing to think when you have, say, I've gone, say I go to a funeral of somebody at my church, maybe before you speak, you think, am I saying this to be comforting or am I saying this because I am uncomfortable? You know, because mm-hmm. often the things that we say are, are, are trying to make us uncomfortable in the face of the harsh thing that is death, right? 
So we use words that help us feel more comfortable, like, oh, he's in a better place. Okay, now I can be more comfortable. Whereas that's not, that's not comforting to a lot of people. I mean, maybe to some people, but yeah. that obviously wasn't comforting to your wife or you, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I think too, one of the things I've found sometimes has helped um, is to say something along the lines of, hey, uh, like if it's the middle of summer, you know, one of the things that a lot of people, I think when they're grieving, they forget about are the small mundane things that somebody else did all yeah. the time, you know? So like yes, my father-in-law yeah. was the one who did the finances. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, you know, offering, Hey, you know, when you're ready, I'd love to come over and sit with you and talk, help you manage through all that stuff that, you yeah. know, is just sitting there now or, yeah. you know, Hey, listen, I'm going to come over on Saturday and I'm going to cut your grass. And, mm-hmm. you know, and offer the, a specific thing instead mm-hmm. of a, if I can do anything, just let me know. Because right. I think oftentimes that sometimes even just comes off as empty. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll offer to do something, but not, I'm not going to offer to do anything really. And right. if you ask me to do something, it'll likely be too big of a deal for me to be able to say yes. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think if you say those are the things that someone grieving of the, the death of a loved one. They're not even going to think about the fact that their lawn hasn't been cut. They're not going to right. think about the sidewalk being shoveled or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Uh, maybe just, you know, you let them know I'm coming on Saturday at 9 a.m. and I'm going to shovel your driveway. And that's mm-hmm. it. And then, you know, they don't have to think about that. They don't have to prepare shovels for you or anything. You're just going to come right. over and do it. Yeah, uh, I think absolutely. Serving so, people. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of times we know that better because we're in community. I mean, when you're in a community yeah. with someone, you know what they need a little bit better than if it's, yeah, I mean, maybe your neighbor, you know, that they're walking shoveling or whatever, but I think that's the important part of the important part of that is to try to be in community with people. So, you know, a little bit better what they need. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thanks for your thoughts on that, because I think um, oftentimes we struggle through what to do in those mm-hmm. moments, either when and we're I do in too. it ourself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's important for do. us to have as much advice on what to do in those moments as possible. Because <laughs> um, no, I mean, even not, not even just in a blanket sense, but none of us wants to be the one that says that thing and it hurts. I know. <laughs> we we likely will all do it. <laughs> we will. But, and and what yeah. what helps one person is not necessarily going to help another. I mean, some people want right. those those phrases that to us are kind of like, "Oh, don't say that." Some people want to hear that, but I would just say in general, don't say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cuz you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Well, uh, thank you again so much uh, for your time yeah. and for uh, oh, for your you. work. Uh, yeah, thank you for this conversation. And uh, but before you go, where can people find you if they want to connect more with you and and the things that you're doing? Yeah, I have a website which is christianainpeterson.com, which I don't know if <laughs> I need to spell that out because I have a very long name. I'll put it um, in the show notes. That way they can just oh, click great. right on it. Yep. Okay. And I, I do social media, but I'm mostly on Instagram, Christiana in Pete, P-E-T-E. So yeah. Sweet. This has been great. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you again for hanging out with us. It was fun. Yes. It was fun. It's an important conversation too. It's, uh, yeah. So 
<laughs> I'm glad you. you liked the book. I'm glad that it made you want to read more because some people are frightened by it. So. <laughs> oh no, I liked it. <laughs> I found it very helpful. Good. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> awesome. And uh, listeners, uh, thank you guys so much for hanging out today. Uh, hopefully this conversation was uh, beneficial to you or maybe there's somebody that you know uh, that would benefit from this conversation. So uh, perhaps you could send it out to them as well. But regardless, thank you for hanging out with us today. And as always, go Caps. And go Blackhawks. <laughs> Peace <laughs> and love, guys. <laughs> <laughs>